0: Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon. Here at Back Creek Church, we are focused on connecting people with the hope of the gospel. With this week's message, here's Pastor Matt Carr. We are in Ruth chapter 4, the final chapter and the final text of this book of Ruth. Ruth 4, we're going to be looking at... Uh, verses 13 through 22. Ruth 4, 13 through 22. And the story of Ruth shows us powerfully how God is at work in the seemingly insignificant circumstances and events of seemingly ordinary lives to do what only God can do, to restore what has been lost To bring rest to the weary. To bring fullness to the empty. To bring hope to those who are hurting. And this story that began with weariness and tragedy and loss for our heroines, Naomi and Ruth. Famine. Leaving home. Losing people. Losing protection. Losing provision. Has been moving throughout the story toward rest and toward restoration, and toward redemption. And even though the narrator has cleverly and intentionally uh, refrained from mentioning the Lord directly doing anything up to this point, we still see God's autograph, God's handwriting over the entirety of this story. God has been active in the circumstances of a broken-hearted Israelite widow and her faithful, grieving Moabite daughter-in-law, and the worthy kinsman-redeemer, not only to bring about God's best for them, but also, we will see, for their nation and even for us. Can it be possible that this remarkable little story of restoration among some very unlikely people that happened over 3,000 years ago, is still absolutely crucial for the work of restoration that God is doing in you and in me and in the entire universe. The character of our God who loves to use the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and the weak things of the world to shame the strong, our God who brings beauty from loss and devastation, who brings life from death, the character of our God says yes. And so does the conclusion to our story. So look with me at Ruth chapter 4, verses 13 through 22. If you're able, please stand in honor of God's word. This is where it has all been leading and this is the word of God so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son then the women said to Naomi blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amminadab. Amminadab fathered Nation. Nation fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Let's thank the Lord for his word. Oh, Lord, our God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true and trustworthy, that we can stake our lives and our eternities on the truth of your word and the good news that it offers to sinners. And Lord, we thank you for your work in all of history, recorded in your word, where you have done all things for the good of your people and for the glory of your name. Thank you for the story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. Thank you that it is true. And Lord, we thank you for this child that was born to them, Obed, who had a child named Jesse who had a child named David. And I thank you for the child that was born through that line that gives all of us hope. But we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's for his glory and in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In 1992, uh, I was 12 years old. Uh, and uh, for the second year in a row, my uh, beloved Atlanta Braves were in the National, Championship, National League Championship Series. Uh, and the series was tied three games to three games, and uh, the pirates, the Pittsburgh pirates, the dreaded uh, Pittsburgh pirates, with Doug Drabeck on the mound, were leading game seven two to nothing. And he had pitched a a beautiful scoreless game through eight innings, and he came out for the ninth. And my dad, I, I think probably just to think the best of him, hoping to spare me from the heartbreak that was sure to come as he closed out the game, sent me to bed. So I went to bed, and I turned on my radio. And I listened to Skip Carey begin to call the ninth inning. And I heard... As the leadoff batter in that inning, Terry Pendleton, hit a double. And then David Justice hit a sharp ground ball that resulted in an error. And so he reached. So runners at the corners, nobody out. And then the catcher, Damon Berryhill, he walked. And it was starting to get a little bit exciting. But then Hunter popped out. Ron Gant hit a sacrifice fly ball that drove in Pendleton. So now it was 2 to one then the next batter walked, and the bases were loaded once again, but with two outs. And here was the problem. The pitcher's spot was due up. Yes, kids, there was a day when pitchers used to bat in baseball. And instead of sending out the relief pitcher, Jeff Rudin, uh, it was time for Bobby Cox, the manager, to call on a pinch hitter. Who would it be? The bench wasn't very deep for the Braves that year, though they were a great team with their starting nine. Who was going to step in and be the hero in that moment? And I I was listening on the radio, and I heard the announcers call the name of Francisco Cabrera. And I said from my my bedroom in a voice loud enough for my dad to hear, Who? A player who had spent almost all of that season in the minor leagues, a player that I didn't even know was on the team. I got out of bed angry and went to the living room to watch with my dad. He saw me, just acknowledged it, said, come on in. And we stood there to watch Francisco Cabrera in the final at bat of the season. Or at least what we thought was going to be. But then the count, with the bases loaded two outs, went 2-0 on Francisco Cabrera. And then he hit uh, a sharp foul ball to left. And then on the next pitch, he lined into left for a base hit. And David Justice scored, and the game was tied. And Francisco Cabrera had been the unlikeliest of heroes for my Atlanta Braves, and we were elated, but wait, unlikelier still. The slowest man with the worst knees in all of baseball, Sid Bream, had been at second base, and he was rounding third. And he was coming home. And one of the best players in all of baseball with a cannon for an arm, Barry Bonds, fires it from left field. And the ball arrives the same time Bream does. And Bream slides and... Safe! Braves win! Braves win! Braves win! I'm so glad Jared Latch isn't here because this would re-traumatize him. He's a Pirates fan. And in that moment... The unlikeliest of circumstances and the unlikeliest of heroes conspired to restore what I thought had been lost. And that's the kind of story that the book of Ruth tells, where what was surely lost is restored by a loving and merciful God, the real hero of the story, who threw very unlikely people and a very unlikely person like Ruth. Ruth. Ruth who was a stranger to the commonwealth of Israel, cut off from the promises and the covenants of God. A worshiper of a false god, Shimosh, among her people who had a checkered and even negative history with the people of Israel, who did not know the Lord. And yet, through bad circumstances of famine and bad decisions on the part of Elimelech and Naomi, Malon and Chilion, she finds herself not only in relationship with this family through marriage, but also in relationship with the Lord. And she comes to know the living and true God, Yahweh. And even though she loses her father-in-law, and even though she loses her husband, even though she with Naomi, they lose everything. God, through the unlikeliest of heroes, the unlikeliest of people, Ruth, brings restoration far beyond what she could ever see. Three things from the end of this story, this passage that we've just read. First, through Ruth, the unlikeliest of heroes, God brought restoration to Naomi. Through Ruth, God brought restoration to Naomi. Boaz marries Ruth, and soon they are pregnant. And this is not at all what this passage is about, but I do want to take a minute to say that, um, you know, our, our culture is one that is profoundly deceived regarding God's plan uh, for sexuality, for marriage, and for family. Uh, and in this passage, we get a beautiful Old Testament example of what we know as the New Testament sexual ethic. That God has designed Man and woman, male and female, both equally made in his image with equal inherent worth, dignity, and value to be united in the relationship of husband and wife if the Lord provides. And through that union, one man, one woman for life in covenant to produce godly offspring. And that is the Lord's plan For the family. And that's a beautiful Old Testament picture of the New Testament sexual ethic, the New Testament picture of marriage that is upheld by Jesus and the apostles and that we ourselves embrace. And this is something that we're never, ever going to compromise on and we're never, ever going to walk away, no matter what is being said outside or no matter what the cost is to us personally or corporately. We're going to hold fast to what God's plan is because God's plan is best not only for us, but for our neighbors as well. Ruth marries Boaz, and soon she says the Lord gave her conception. And she gave birth to a son. And the women of Bethlehem recognize and respond to this as it is the work of the Lord in their friend Naomi's life. They give praise to the Lord for what he has done in restoration for Naomi through Ruth. See, Naomi had lost her husband and her sons. And with them, Naomi had lost all security, all provision, all protection, all rest was taken from Naomi in the loss of the men in her lives because that's how the world was at this time. Now Boaz, Boaz steps in and he redeems their family land and he restores their family line. Ruth would give birth to a son, a redeemer, who would allow Naomi to rest to rest in her final years in this life, to rest as she looked forward to being with the Lord in eternity, knowing that her family would be secure in the coming generations, that God restored what had been lost through Ruth. Naomi had lost her confidence in the Lord's goodness. Broken-hearted at her losses in chapter 1, she said words like this, It is exceedingly bitter to me. That the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. The Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and he brought me back empty. He has testified against me and brought calamity upon me. I don't know about you, but there have been times in, in my life. And I imagine there have been times in your life where you have felt as Naomi did. We may not have gone through the same type of just tragic and sudden loss that she went through with Elimelech and then her sons as well. But I know that we have all walked through trial. We've all walked through hardship. And we've thought, it's bitter for me. It seems like the Lord is against me and not for me. And his providences toward me have not been soft and kind and gracious, but hard and difficult and brutal. Our friends look at Naomi's life on this side of what he has been doing in and through those difficult circumstances. And they recognize God's work of restoration. They say, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And my brothers and sisters, I want to remind you that whatever the circumstances or decisions of your life lead you to, however difficult and dark your path may be, the Lord has not left you without a redeemer. And everything, all the good and all the bad, must work together for your salvation through that Redeemer. What's his name? Y'all are getting better. Thank you for that. Lord has not left you this day without a Redeemer. He shall be to you, Naomi, he shall be to you. This baby that has been born to Ruth. This redeemer, Boaz, was their kinsman redeemer. They produce now a redeemer who restores the family land, restores the family line. He will be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. And all of you who have had the privilege of living to the point where you have held a grandchild in your arms, say amen. Because you know what it's like to hold in your arms the offspring of your offspring. I don't know what that's like. And I know that some, many of you in this room don't know what that's like, but also many of you do. And what a blessing it is to, to know the restoration of life that is seen in the generation after the generation that you produced. And what nourishment it brings to a grandparent's heart to hold their baby grandchild. Yes, God is good. And he's been good to Naomi. And the Lord brought this restoration through the unlikeliest person. The foreigner, Ruth. And the women recognize this. And not only is it the Lord's work, but it is the Lord's work through an unlikely person. And not only an unlikely person, but a person who has a heart like the Lord's because she knows the Lord. Your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Through Ruth, God brought restoration to Naomi. She lost a husband and she lost two sons. And of course, nothing could ever change the grief and the loss associated with them. And yet, the Lord had given to Naomi through Ruth and now through Boaz, this beautiful restoration where she has a daughter-in-law who is more to her than seven sons. And she now has a grandchild who is going to carry on the family name, and everything is at rest. Everything is at peace. Restoration for her is full, and she is full of joy. Can you imagine what Naomi felt as she held this beautiful baby boy in her lap, as the proud and deeply in love parents entrusted him to her care? The ladies in the neighborhood said, they didn't say a, a son has been born to Ruth. They say a son has been born to Naomi. In other words, God has restored what was lost. And the people in the neighborhood are the ones who get to name him. And they name him Obed, which means servant. Specifically, servant of God. And this is our God. Our God restores what is lost in the unlikeliest ways through the unlikeliest people. Have you seen the Lord do a beautiful work of restoration in your life. If you have, praise Him for it. Do you long for rest and restoration that you have not yet seen? If you do, ask Him for it. And as you do, take note of the whispers of redemption that you do see. And if that's not easy to do, remember that Naomi was where you are, bereft of hope, no rest for the weary. But in ways she didn't expect and couldn't see, the Lord was working restoration not only for her but for her family and through her family, the entire nation of Israel. And that's what we see second. Through Ruth, God brought restoration to Israel. Through the foreigner, God brought restoration to his people. The first sentence of this story tells us that things were not just bad for Naomi and Elimelech's family in Bethlehem, things were bad for all God's people at this time. In the days when the judges ruled. That is a disastrous opening to a book. In the days when the judges ruled. To the great leaders Moses and Joshua had died. And the book of Judges tells us there arose a generation who did not know the Lord or the work he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served false gods. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And then we saw this cycle that we've discussed before where the Lord judges the people for their disobedience and their idolatry. And he sends a foreign people to come in and to oppress them. And so they they recognize that they have not been following the Lord and they groan to the Lord. And he sends a judge, raises up a judge from among the people of Israel to deliver them from their oppressors. And they thank the Lord and they pledge obedience. And then what happens? Disobedience and idolatry and judgment. Deliverance, thanksgiving, disobedience, idolatry, and judgment. And it's a downward spiral for the people of Israel. And this is this is when this story of Ruth takes place. Israel needed a king. Israel needed a king after God's own heart to lead them in God's way. And through Ruth, God provided that king. The very last sentence of the book of Judges is this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Judges was written to show the need for a king. And Ruth tells the story of how that king was provided. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse. The father of who? David. Goliath slaying. Psalm writing. Battle winning. Nation restoring. King David, the shepherd boy from Bethlehem. And any Israelite worth their salt would recognize that the reign of David was the glory days of their nation. The book of Judges was written to show the people their need for a king. The book of Ruth was written to show how God gave them that king. And through him, one day, an even greater king. So God not only restores Naomi through Ruth. He not only restores Israel, unites the kingdom, and institutes the greatest days in all of Israel's history through Ruth and her child Obed, who had a child named Jesse, who had a child named David, who was a shepherd boy from Bethlehem, who became the king in all of history for Israel. But Lastly, we see that through Ruth, God brought restoration for us. Through Ruth, the unlikeliest people. God brought restoration for us. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab, Amminadab fathered Nation. Nation fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Now you've heard That exact rhythm of names before. You've heard those exact names before. It's actually probably pretty familiar to you because it's a a list of names that we often read around the time of Christmas. We find them in the first book, in the first chapter of the New Testament. I just want to read Matthew chapter 1, verses 2 through 6. Abraham was the father of Isaac. And Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Minadab, Menadab the father of Nation, Nation the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king." you know, David's line doesn't stop with him. The Lord had made a covenant with King David that his house and his kingdom would be made sure forever and his throne would be established forever. That David, Ruth's great-grandson, would have a descendant who would rule on his throne in justice and righteousness forevermore. That whatever was lost after David, and by the way, a lot was lost after David, It would be restored and more through this king. So I I do want to keep going in Matthew. Picking up there in verse 6. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiad, and Abiad the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azer, and Azer the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliad, and Eliad the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. See, God wasn't just at work in the life of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, but every name that we just read. It's why we can't gloss over or skip over any part of God's word, because the whole word tells the whole story about the Christ who was to come. And every genealogy tells stories like the story of Ruth, where God is at work, whether he reveals it to us or whether he doesn't, to bring about our redemption. The king who brings ultimate restoration to us ain't David. What's his name? His name is Jesus. And Jesus came to us through a famine in Israel. Through the tragic deaths of Elimelech and Malon and Chilion. Through Malon's illegal unrighteous marriage to this Moabite woman. Through the loss and the brokenness and the need and the weariness and the seeking and the waiting for restoration of Naomi and Ruth through the most unlikely, insignificant people that God brought to us, our kinsman redeemer. What's his name? Jesus. See, God brought beautiful restoration to Naomi and to Ruth through Boaz, kinsman redeemer. And through their story of restoration, he brought about the restoration of the people of Israel, and he brought about the restoration of his all-nations people throughout all of time through our kinsman-redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, born in an unlikely place, the same place, same place that Obed was born, Bethlehem, to unlikely parents. This time it wasn't a foreigner and a farmer. This time it was a carpenter. And a young lady of the tribe of Judah. The son of David. The son of Jesse. The son of Obed. The son of Ruth and Boaz. The Lord Jesus Christ. Who did for us what we could have never done for ourselves. By becoming truly and fully human. though he remained truly and fully God. The eternal son of God. To live the life that we failed to live. A life of righteousness and honor before his Father, Yahweh, our God. To go to the cross and die the death that we deserved, paying the penalty for our sins, receiving the justice of God and the condemnation that we deserve so that we might receive his righteousness as a gift and never face the condemnation of God. That he might rise from the dead and give to us a victory and the hope of resurrection ourselves and eternal life through his victory over sin and Satan and death forever. This is the Lord Jesus Christ from an unlikely place through unlikely people like Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, Joseph and Mary. Our restoration, our redemption. This is the story that God tells in the book of Ruth. This is the story that God tells in the Bible. This is the story that God is telling in history. It's the story that God is telling in our lives, and it upholds one Redeemer, one who brings restoration, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when you think about your life in light of what Christ has done for you, you may be tempted to believe that you are insignificant. You may be tempted to believe that you would be a very unlikely choice for God to do anything of significance through. I want to tell you, God chose an unknown foreigner to be the great, 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 great grandmother of our Redeemer. And God aims for every child of his to be a part of his restoring work in the world. So no, you are not insignificant you are loved by god bought by him at the most precious price in the universe and he aims to use you for his glory and for the good of his people let's pray oh lord our god i thank you for ruth and i thank you for the work of restoration that you did through her life oh lord i thank you for saving her for bringing her into relationship with you Lord, I thank you that you used a broken path to do that. Lord, I thank you that through tragedy and loss and weariness, you brought rest and restoration and redemption. Thank you for Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, and his actions on behalf of Ruth and Naomi. Thank you for Obed, the baby that was born to them. Thank you for David, who came later and restored Israel. And we thank you, O Lord, most of all for the son of David, the son of Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for our Messiah, our Christ, our Redeemer, our Savior, our Shepherd, our Friend. We thank you, Lord, that in him we have full restoration to relationship with you. And Lord, that by your Holy Spirit you are doing a work of restoration in us so that we might be made like him. So take your word now, commit it to our hearts and to our lives so that we might look more like Jesus every day. And we ask these things in his name. Amen. You can find additional sermons and learn more about our ministries by heading to backcreekchurch.org. We'd love to see you in person for our worship service at 1030 on Sunday mornings. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Thanks for listening.